If you have your Bibles tonight, and you would, find with me the 25th chapter of Matthew. While you're finding that, I would like to share a bit of good news. Seems as a pastor, I very rarely get to share good news with people. But uh, we had a gentleman in our first service today who heard the Word of God, fell under a conviction, decided to go to another church service since he had been at our first service, and uh, just talked to his son in the lobby. And he said, uh, my dad went to the second church, heard pretty much the exact same sermon, and was saved. And so, amen. Amen. And so, uh, we are thankful for the Lord's saving power. It always amazes me how when you tell someone what you preached on, they'll say, well, my pastor preached on the same thing, and my pastor preached on the same thing. It's almost like we're worshiping the same God under the leadership of the same Spirit. But tonight in Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25 is a passage of Scripture that Christians have fought about, they have argued about, and has been used to uh, confuse people and churches. Uh, But it's a very simple parable. If you just take what the Lord is saying at face value. But it is also one of the most heartbreaking passages of Scripture in the New Testament. The passage of we're looking at tonight in the parable of the ten virgins. It is written to a, a group of people who love the Lord, His disciples, who had asked Him the great question, when are you coming back? And as we see in this passage of Scripture tonight, these virgins represent saved people and people who think they are saved. People who look like they are saved, talk like they are saved. By all accounts, you and I would think they are saved. But when the Lord comes, they will realize that they are not saved. And I don't know if you realize this, but I want you to know that there will be people sitting in Sunday school while others are gone when the rapture happens. There will be people who are sitting in church and others will be gone when the rapture happens. There will be pastors that show up to preach that did not go in the rapture. Why? Because not everyone who claims to be saved is saved. Jesus warns over and over again about those who call me Lord, Lord. Numerous times He talks about us examining ourselves The Apostle Paul writes about examining ourselves, And tonight I want to encourage you. It's easy to think I sit in a church where the gospel is preached Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school. I know it is easy to think after sitting in a church where you hear songs about Jesus and you sing songs about Jesus and you are a part of taking Jesus to the world to think that that could not happen here. It would have to happen in one of those liberal churches. It would have to happen in one of those churches who don't have the Word of God preached. But I want you to know that Jesus is telling this to the people He was closest to. And He was telling this to a group that would have one in their midst that would betray Him. And so tonight, while we look forward to the return of the Lord, we should never forget that we must make sure we are ready, that we must make sure that those that we love are ready. 
I meet people all the time and do uh, a lot of funerals and and uh, hear all kinds of things like, well, Grandma was saved at two years old and never went to church again, but I know she was saved. And I always say, I don't think you can be saved at two years old. That's a little young for me, but, uh, you know, whatever your story is, I guess. Or someone will say, well, you know, I know my family's not very religious, but they were a pretty good person and... Um, uh, you know, I, I think they were baptized at some point. And friends, tonight I want to caution you because one of these days, either the Lord is going to take you home or someone is going to preach your funeral. And even though every family likes to think about their loved ones in heaven, I am here to tell you tonight that not everyone is going. But what I want to make sure of is those that I love the most have heard. The ones that I love the most have had the opportunity to be saved. You would say, well, Jake, in a community like ours, everybody has been exposed to the gospel. Everybody's been exposed to church. I can tell you after doing the 10th funeral this year of a family that was not connected to church in any way, that that is not true. When I started going to nursing homes 10 years ago and doing... Uh, Heritage Woods and things like that, you'd go into assisted living and it'd be that sweet little old white-headed woman that you grew up knowing and they were wonderful and they were kind and they were always in church and their health had begun to fail and they were in the nursing home. Some are still like that, but now it is a whole different generation of people in the nursing home. We've got the Woodstock generation in the nursing home. You're as likely to hear, blankety, I don't want to go down to church, as you are, I'd love to go down to church. You're as liable to see a cross necklace as you are a tattoo of some rock metal band from the 60s and 70s. It is a whole different generation of people. And the generation that was raised at the conclusion of the Second World War, they were in church, they had depended upon God, that generation is almost gone. And some of you are saying, wait, you're talking about my generation. You remember how wild some of them were. Not you, but them. You probably can remember those kids that used to come to vacation Bible school with you years and years ago. Our church is full of them on the membership roles of people who made professions at Vacation Bible School, were baptized, and we have never seen them again 60 years later. And so tonight, my warning to you is to really begin to pray and really begin to seek, Lord, do I truly know You? And Lord, do the people that I love the most truly love You? I don't have a title tonight. I don't have any points tonight. I just want us to go through these verses tonight and let God speak to us. Because tonight the challenge is the same challenge that I have been making over the last few weeks is be ready. God is trying to get us to be ready for things to come. If you would stand with me, if you are able, if you're not, we completely understand as we look at Matthew chapter 25, 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. 
And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Pray with me tonight. Father, I come tonight asking for your forgiveness, asking for your mercy. Lord, I ask that you would speak through your servant. God, that you would forgive me. God, that your Holy Spirit would work and move in this place tonight for your glory. And Lord, I just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so really we see in this parable that the purpose is to show us that the Lord's return is going to be sudden. It's going to be unexpected. Therefore, each and every one of us who know the Lord should be prepared. We should be expecting Him. Now that doesn't mean we know the day or the hour, but we should be focused on this simple truth, that the Lord could return at any moment. This parable literally talks to us about two groups of people. But there are some main things I want to show you tonight, and I will be done. The first is this, a Jewish wedding. Most of us, when we think about weddings, we think of our weddings. We think of what they're like, and uh, we think, oh man, I don't want to have to do that. I don't ever want to hear you complain about a wedding. Because I'm going to have to be a part of a bunch of them at some point. But in a Jewish wedding, I want to just explain this to you. It's something I had never really paid much attention to, because why? I'm a guy, you go to a wedding not because you're looking forward to it, but usually because someone you love is getting married or the one that you love wants to go to a marriage, and so you go to a wedding. But in a Jewish culture, a wedding was the focal point of a something that would go on. It was like the fall festival of Hamilton County. Everybody would be there. Everybody would be celebrating. It would literally be a moment like any other in a town. But something about Jewish weddings is different from ours. A Jewish wedding would start like this. Two fathers would agree that their children were going to get married. They would agree on what they were going to trade, what they were going to barter, all kinds of agreements and things like that. And that would be the first stage. Then, after a period of time, the bride and groom would come together and they would share their wedding vows. They would have a ceremony in front of family and friends. And then something would happen. She would stay with her father and the husband would go home. And what would happen over the next six to eight to nine to a year, the husband would begin to prepare a home he would show to the father that he was going to be able to take care of his daughter, prove that he had some property to farm, some livestock to take care of. And then after, whether it was his own home or a lean-to on his father's home, he would then go back to the bride and her family and say, I am ready. I am ready to take her into my home. 
And what we are celebrating in this passage of Scripture is that third phase. The bridegroom has got everything ready. He has got everything prepared. And he is coming for his bride. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but in our culture we're taught that sex is not supposed to be something that happens in marriage and that it's supposed to be sacred and special. How would you like to say your wedding vows and wait a year? I mean, think about that. The seriousness of marriage, the sacredness of marriage, the the importance of proving that that guy is not some deadbeat loser that just likes your daughter because she's one good-looking girl. Has to prove that he's going to be a provider, he's going to be someone that cares for her, and that he is someone worthy to give her. During this betrothal period, you literally had to have a certificate of divorce to break this marriage. And so at this time, when this bridegroom would come for his bride, it would be a huge celebration. It would be a time of rejoicing. It would be what we are seeing here. And what would happen, like brides have for years and years and years, she would have all of the people that were close to her. Now, it wouldn't quite be the same as it is in our day. It would have been virgins, and we're not going to get into who they represent or what they are. But she would have ten of her closest friends there. And he would have ten of his closest friends in this parable. And they would go to the bridegroom's home. And they would then at night, it was always at night, they would light these torches, literally sticks with some kind of an object that would be lit, and they would go through town at the night hour celebrating what is going on. They would march through the city. People would celebrate with them. It's like the fire truck coming home from a regional championship, right? All of McLeansboro would celebrate. They would go back to the groom's house for seven days and celebrate and, 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 and have festivities and, and rejoice. And at the end of that seven days, then the best man would take the, the, groom, the bride and the groom and bring their hands together and then everybody needed to get the heck out of Dodge, all right? Uh, because they had celebrated, they had rejoiced, all of these things. And tonight I wanted to say all that, not because I'm a Jewish historian, but don't miss the significance of this. The groom had everything ready to go get his bride. The bride knew it was time, and she was ready. Her friends were ready. All they were waiting was for the moment of his return. And friends, that's where this parable starts. And it talks here in this parable about the wedding, but it also talks here about the bridesmaids. So five of them had their torches, had their lamps, and they would have had the oil that you would have poured on it to light it on fire. The other five, in their moment of of foolishness, their moment of ignorance, the, the word literally can talk about fool here, did not bring the oil to light their torch. And so what happens is, as they are waiting for the bridegroom to come, the bridegroom is delayed. And like all of us do when it's late at night and we're expecting someone and they're late, they slept. There's nothing wrong with sleep. There's nothing wrong with rest in this passage of Scripture. But they were resting. And so at a later time than they expected, the midnight hour. Have you ever heard an old song? There's a a wonderful song, the midnight hour, the midnight cry. 
And if you know anything about this, it's not necessarily midnight as exactly, but it's late into the evening, close to when everyone should be asleep. The bridegroom comes, and he comes with him and his best men and tells the ladies and the bride that let's go. It's time to go marching through the streets. It's time to celebrate. It's time to rejoice. And five of those ladies, five of those virgins is the passage of Scripture, do not have any oil to light the fire. They are not allowed to be a part of the celebration. And like all of us would do, can I borrow some of yours? But the five wise virgins, as you've read in this passage of Scripture, say, no, there won't be enough for us to last through the journey, to last through the festivities. Go and buy your own. Now this wouldn't be a big deal because during a normal business day, you could have ran down to the market and bought what? Oil. But it's kind of like McLeansboro at midnight. There is nothing open except for hucks. You see, the significance is when they needed it, it was too late. When they needed to get what they needed to be a part of the celebration, there was no one selling it. And tonight we see this, again, this theme of it was too late. And I'm not going to read all this passage of Scripture for you again because I won't insult your intelligence. You can read that. But look there in verse 8, And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And as they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and they missed him. And so only five women were in this celebration. They were in this time of rejoicing. They had made it back to the groom's house. And tonight I want you to see the significance of this. And most Bible scholars try to teach us this, that your salvation, your relationship with the Lord, the Holy Spirit living within you is not enough to get someone else to heaven. You cannot share your salvation in the sense of I'm saved so my kids are covered. It doesn't cover that way. It doesn't work that way. I'm a faithful Christian. My grandchildren automatically have to be saved. No, your relationship with the Lord is yours and yours alone. Now, can you share your faith with your children? Absolutely. Can you pray for your grandchildren? Take them to church? Let them hear the gospel? Absolutely. But friends, I want you to know something, that it doesn't matter how faithful you are to the Lord or how great your faith is, the people you love the most will have to make that choice themselves. Friends, I have six daughters and a wife. I love them more than any person on the planet. Three of my children are saved. Three of them are not. Friends, even though I want them to go to heaven, pray for them to go to heaven, try to live a godly example for them, drag them to every church function that they could possibly be at, it's not enough for me to be saved and save them. I know that we hear a lot about the Mormon church. We hear a lot about the Latter-day Saints. We hear a lot about different kinds of churches and in the Latter-day Saints Church, you can be baptized for your dead family members. But friends, that's not what the Bible teaches. Certain faiths believe that you can go to a holding period and your family can buy you out or pray you out. 
But Jesus teaches us right here that if you don't have your own oil, you're not going. And this passage of Scripture is all about the Lord coming back for us. The groom, the one who is coming for His bride is Jesus coming back for His church. Coming back for those who love Him. And tonight I really want you to think about this because if you see from this passage of Scripture, half of them are not ready. But don't miss something about these bridegrooms. They would have been dressed the same way. They would have had all the same material. They would have had all the same tools. They would have been thinking that they were going to the banquet. They would have been thinking that they were apart. But yet when the Lord came and the Lord knew the heart and the Lord knows the intent, they were not apart. And friends, tonight I just cannot repeat this enough, but I will not repeat it too much. Do you really know Him? Do you truly have a relationship with Him? You know, I have pastored this church now. It is 11 years this month that you voted me your pastor. I have baptized hundreds and hundreds of people. And I can tell you many of them are no longer here. Many of them no longer claim any faith at all in the Lord. Over the years, we have went through our membership role and removed different people that have moved away and joined other churches. But there are hundreds of people who live right here in our community who when I have invited them to church would say, I have no need of it. Friends, I don't know if you know this or not, but I don't believe that all saved people, all the people in church are saved. But I believe all saved people should be in church. Just what I believe. You can disagree with me. You can argue with me. That's all right. But what he's saying is of the ten people who were there, of the ten people who looked the part, of the ten people that you thought were a part, half of them were not. Now I don't believe that just because Jesus says half of them that this half of the congregation's lost and this half of the congregation is saved. But when you think out of the percentage of Christians who call themselves that in America today, only 32% faithfully attend church. Less than 20% believe the Bible is the Word of God. Less than 10% would say they sacrificially give and serve. You were starting to see why the Lord's number wasn't too far off. And so that breaks my heart that churches are full of people who do not know the Lord. Churches are full of people who talk the right way, think the right way, live the right way when everyone's looking, but deep down do not know the Lord. You say, Jake, this is kind of uncomfortable since we're all in church. That's the way it's supposed to be. The Lord was speaking to the disciples. He was speaking to the religious of the religious. He was speaking to the cream of the crop and said, in that day there will be many who do not know. And I say this all tonight because really there are some disagreements here about what the oil represents. Some people say the oil represents the Holy Spirit that indwells you, that prepares you, that is... But I don't think I can say that with certainty. All I can say is that there were five who were ready, five who were not. But I want you to read here in verses 12 and 13 with me tonight. Verse 11, excuse me. 
Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Do not know you. Friends, tonight I think those are some of the most terrifying words in all of Scripture. Depart from me. I never knew you. Jesus is teaching us here that once He returns, once He gives people an opportunity as He has for thousands and thousands of years, it is too late. Friends, that once you miss the bridegroom's invitation, there is no second chance. I know that hell is something that we do not like to talk about in church anymore. But if you read the book of Revelation, the Bible tells us clearly that Satan, the Antichrist, will be thrown into the second death, the lake of fire. And the Bible teaches us that all who die apart from Jesus Christ will spend an eternity away from Him. And so tonight my prayer is that you know the Lord. That you're here tonight knowing that you are a part of the five wise virgins. But friends, tonight I challenge you to begin to think about the people in your life who are closest to you that are not. Who is going to witness and pray to your children when you're gone? Who is going to witness and pray to your grandchildren when you are gone? Look in verse 13, because truly this whole passage of Scripture is summed up in this. Be ready. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Over and over again in chapter 24, chapter 25, we see that you do not know the day or the hour, but be ready. Now tonight I don't believe that that means we ought to all go up and sit on the ceiling of the church on the roof and just wait for the Lord to come. Right, we're going to order our food, they'll deliver it here, and we're just going to camp out on the roof like some cult does. I don't believe that. But I believe as we go, and as we serve, and as we live, we should always have one eye on the world, and one eye on the sky. We should always be living, serving, and praying, knowing that at any moment, the Lord could come back. This passage of Scripture literally says that the Lord, the Bridegroom, might wait longer than we are ready for. Every generation of Christians has said, this could be it. This could be it. This could be it. And most of us have been in church so long, we've heard this could be it so many times. We really don't believe it. But friends, all I can tell you tonight is, I do not know the day or the hour but I know that He's coming. And I know that today we are closer to Him coming than we were yesterday. And so friends, watch, therefore. Be ready today. And my prayer tonight is this. I've uh, been here, like I said, 11 years. Good things, bad things, high points, low points, stupid moments, encouraging moments. But the simple thing is this, I would never want someone to sit under the preaching of God's Word and die and go to hell. But friends, Satan would just as much love for you to go to hell from that seat right there that he would a bar stool.
if Satan can make you afraid of what will people think about me if I go up and tell them I'm not really saved? What, what will people think of me? I've been in church all of these years and I'm not really saved. You know what? I, I, really, I can't go and get right with God. You know, knowing I've got an image to keep. I've got a reputation to keep. Friends, Satan will convince you that your status in church is worth more than your status in heaven. But I'm here to tell you tonight, don't let Satan lie to you. You say, well, Jake, our church is different than the rest. We know saved people. Well, then make sure you talk to other church-going people about their relationship with the Lord. Do you ever talk to the people that go to other churches about their relationship with the Lord? When they were saved? When they were born again? I love to ask pastors about their salvation story. But I even more like to ask them about when did God call you into ministry? Because why? You ought to know that the people you go to church with, the people that you work with, you ought to know their story. You say, well, Jake, I'm not a personal person. I don't believe in invading people's private space. And you know, I'm, you know, their faith is theirs, my faith is there. Look up here for just a second. Know that I love you, but that is a bunch of baloney. You and I ought to care about the people in our lives enough to ask them one simple question. Do you know the Lord is your Savior? And if you do, could you tell me about when it happened? That's all you got to say. They say, no, I don't want to talk about it. Move on. They don't want to talk about it, that's fine. But friends, you and I ought to ask that question to every person that we care about. Every family member, every friend, because the Lord is coming back. And I want my children to be wise. I want my wife to be wise. I want to be wise and right with the Lord. And so tonight, if you would bow your heads with me with every head bowed and every eye closed tonight, I just want to encourage you that Jesus loves you, that Jesus died for you, that Jesus wants to save you from your sins. Because His death on the cross, His burial, and His resurrection tonight, if you will call upon His name, put your faith and trust in Him, He will save you, and save you completely. Friend, tonight if you're here and that's you and you say, Jake, I know I'm not saved, I just... I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it next week, I'll do it, I'll, I'll do it when I'm older. Jesus said, watch therefore. Maybe tonight you're saying, Jake, I know that I'm saved. I know that I know the Lord. How about the people you care about the most? Maybe tonight you've not even thought about that. Maybe tonight you're saying, Jake, I just don't think I have the courage and the boldness to talk to someone. Come and find an altar. Say, God, give me the strength and the wisdom and the courage just to ask if they know you. Tonight, maybe you're here and you're thinking about a family member or someone that you care about that's lost. or Maybe they're running from God and you're wondering, are they foolish? Are they really saved? Tonight, these altars are going to be available. You can come, you can pray, you can pray where you're seated. But friends, my prayer for this church it's not that we have it all together. Not that we're the biggest church in the world.
but that we're a church that cares about lost people and that wants to be a part of sharing the gospel and wants to be a part of letting God use us to reach this community, to reach people just like the gentleman this morning giving his heart and life to Jesus. I want that to be an all-the-time story, not a once in a while. And so I encourage you today, if you don't know the Lord, I'm going to be standing right here. If God's laid someone on your heart, something on your heart, you're welcome to come and pray. And so if you would stand as Jamie begins to sing, Janice begins to play, these altars are open, time for you to do business with the Lord.